0: Log Talk Radio.
2: Hey everyone, Welcome to another edition of Troy News is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host as always, John Casillo, and with me today, Dan and Jared, you guys there? Yes, sir.
1: Yes, sir, here and ready to go.
2: Fantastic.
1: So, uh,
2: yeah, I guess before we jump in, just wanted to give a shout out to our sponsor, portable.com we are a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. You can listen to audiobooks wherever and whenever you want. And you get a free book when you sign up today for a free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash noonsmagician.
1: So there's
2: that. He's uh,
1: he's got some crap going on in the background. Was that me? That might be me. Possibly. (laughs) <laughs> I'll get that to fix a little bit Aaron, sorry about that
3: No worries We're just really getting inside of uh, Really getting to know Jared On a personal level this podcast Based on whatever <laughs> the hell that was going to. <laughs>
1: Getting to know my wife's TV choices Better know a blogger That's right
2: <laughs> So how's
1: it going fellas It's uh, it's basketball time Let's Let's do this, I'm excited
2: Yeah Finally, a team there, that has a chance of winning more games than they lose.
3: Are there other sports? There's no. soccer.
2: There's soccer. soccer, and they're they're pretty good. And Philadelphia. We, we covered
1: we covered soccer last week, though. So I mean, what we, we only can do it every
2: other two weeks, I think. That's true. I took,
1: until they win a national championship.
2: Yeah, then we can talk about that a ton. But, uh, yeah, all of our other teams are are pretty good, actually, the ones that actually play sports that I'm aware of. Um, But, yeah, focusing on the one that we are uh, among the five winningest programs of all time, basketball, um, I'm excited for another season. I know it's – I feel slightly less optimistic than I was going into last season. I think that's what I'm trying to tell myself. I know halfway through last season I was convinced we were winning a national championship, so I'm trying to step myself back from that uh, and more putting myself in the mindset that I was in to start last year, which I think a lot of us shared, which was hey, we could have a good season. We have a lot of players that are legit. We have some nice seniors, and this year um, we actually we have some good seniors. We also have a lot of unproven players at key positions, so I think for me I'm excited, but uh, starting with you, Dan, I guess what has you excited
3: this season? Uh, we just have a lot of unknowns, which is fun, um, because in Syracuse when you have unknowns, those guys are generally four- and five-star recruits uh, that should be really good players. So it's not like a year where we go in and we have a real you know, knowledge of our limitations and, and a really great outlook at what to expect. This year, I mean, we can go anywhere from – you know, it being, I wouldn't call it a rebuilding year because I, I don't think that we're a program that has those, but, you know, a, a more of a transitional year or this team to be, you know, to live up to its talent right away and, and make a run to the Elite Eight or the Final Four or something I, or anything in between. So I, I kind of enjoy the uh, uncertainty of Syracuse basketball um, with knowing that the potential is always there for great things.
2: Jared,
1: how about you? Yeah, I always think, Dan, I think Dan hit the nail right on the head. I think the key words are uh, the unknown. Like, we just don't know how this roster is going to shape out. Uh, We know there's talented kids on the roster. Uh, It's not like, I guess you could say, like, six or seven years ago, where if you had a complete overhaul, like if you lost, like McNamara and Warwick, and, you know, Rick Jackson, all these guys, like, all at one, you know, near the same area, uh, your next year's team were, you know, these guys who were really unknown. They didn't really have a yeah, all that quality. T- like, they were good, but they, were, they weren't good enough to push the program to the next level, where these kids coming in now um, are a little bit better recruits overall, like, as a whole, like, the group itself. It's not just, like, one guy coming in. It's everyone kind of coming in and kind of fill in spots, and then the potential, obviously. It's just, it's not quite where it was two years ago where you could see with the leadership with Brandon Trish, uh, you know, and Scoop Jardine and, you know, Michael Carter Williams or, you know, whatever it was, with the potential as the season goes along, if things click at the right time, they might make a run to the Final Four. But overall, the squad has a chance to kind of struggle early, show flashes here and there where you're like, oh, ooh, and uh. They're going to disappoint you a little bit, but you hope at the end, uh, you know, they can and everything can click at the right time. And that's what I think everybody's excited for is to kind of see this team evolve and grow because you sort of, I mean, it's, it's gonna, I think it's not guaranteed to happen, but it's, you know, it's just the way things are gonna roll because the talent is there. It's not like the football program where you're hoping they catch fire at the right time and make a bull run. It's, you you're pretty sure they're going to be good throughout the season. You just hope at the right time come March that they're clicking in all cylinders. That's where you want to be. So it's the unknown and the potential. And I think uh, that, that gets everybody really excited.
2: I think for me, I'm kind of, you mentioned the clicking um, at the right time stuff, Jared. And I think for me, you know, we really do have two prime examples in the last two years Um of teams that clicked at the right and wrong times. I mean, I guess there was no t- wrong time to click necessarily, but I, I don't wish we... I don't wish the 25-0 start away, but if I had to choose between that and going to the Final Four, I'd rather we had the same thing as 2012-2013. You know, kind of not even a rocky start, just questions in the middle that then turned into a, a very strong group come the tournament. Um, I, I think that this group is, to me, and I think a lot of people, really going to resemble 2012, 2013 more, only in the sense that um, there are a lot more questions starting the year, um, and, and I think you're going to see you're going to see a lot of lineup, um, you know, changes and 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 testing out some things just to see who's going to be our scorer, who's going to be, you know, holding down um, the interior part of the defense. There, there there are a lot of things that I think the non-conference schedule, especially these first two games against Kansas State and Hampton, we're going to see a lot of different lineups. We're going to see a lot of experimentation um, while we wait to see kind of who breaks out because we do have um, at least, you know, we're going to have two tough games um, after those, um, Cal for sure, and then either Iowa or Texas. So I think for for me at least, um, I I wouldn't mind... Um, I wouldn't mind dropping a game early if it meant things could improve later on. I know that there's no guarantees of that either.
1: Yeah, but you also don't want some things to go so bad poorly early on uh, where everyone kind of loses confidence in themselves heading into the conference. I think a couple of years ago it was almost a perfect example of like the way you want a season sort of to go when it goes to the when it comes to getting prepared for the tournament is you want your team to, your team to succeed early on, which was, I think at the time, uh, the NIT, the, the preseason NIT championship uh, where they where they ran the table there, looked pretty good, struggled kind of throughout the middle of the season because they were really just trying to find their niche, they had to deal with the James Sutherland situation here and there. You know, they built roster moving in and out, guys improved, guys have been Finally, guys just settled into their roles at the right time. And, you know, obviously there were still ups and downs, I think, in the early March with that huge Georgetown loss, uh, that you know, the crushing Georgetown loss. But once you got to the, the postseason, the tournament time, everything kind of just kind of rolled. I mean, heck, this is, this is how UConn's won championships for the last, what, it seems like two out of three years every year uh, at this point is they don't look good you know, they they show bright spots here and there and they beat teams here and there, they don't look good, but man at the end it just seems nothing like clicks for them. And uh, that's just how you how you gotta prepare for the tournament. I mean, Kentucky did the same thing last year. I mean they they struggled all throughout the last year and they ended up in the final. So just that's just how you want your regular season to go. And that's how I you know, the you know, in the the and in the in the college season, you just hope that early on you just don't get buried enough. Um, because I think that's the one worry with this team is they're not going to be good enough overall to, like, win, you know, the steamroll through the ACC sort of like we did last year or the Big East two years ago. Uh, they're going to have their issues during conference play because uh, they're going to be learning at the same time. So if you want to get off to a good start, you to pile up those wins while you can so you have that resume. So if you falter here and there during the conference season, Uh, When it comes to NCAA tournament seeding or trying to make the tournament, it doesn't kill you too much. So, I mean, that's the only worry about the whole overall season is struggling really early and then having all those resume builders that you can get really hurt you to come at the end of the season where you really need those when it comes to seeding or maybe trying to make a tournament.
3: It's oh, you you, um Yeah, I, I, it's funny because I feel like almost every year at this point, except for a couple of the times where we've had a really established uh, team going in, people have talked about getting off to rough start, but it really doesn't happen. I mean, 2013 we lost to Temple at MSU, which is kind of weird. And then I think before that it was like 2009 maybe, the Cleveland State game. I, I think those are the last two non-conference Uh, regular season games we've lost, I might be missing something. Um, But, I mean, this team has really done a great job early in the year, uh, no matter what the team makeup is like, whether it's a lot of veterans or or new pieces or uh, unknowns or young guys. So, I think playing the zone has a lot to do with that because it's a defense that so few teams face on a regular basis. Um, Maybe... Maybe our, our luck turns around since we're playing Cal for the uh, 75th time in the last four seasons. Uh, maybe they finally figured it out. But um, overall, I, I tend to not get too worried about these early conference, uh, these early season games, um, just because of that lack of uh, familiarity. Um, but this year, it is. We I think we have probably one of the best slates early on that we've had in a while. We have the Cal game, uh, the Iowa or Texas game. I assume if we beat Cal, it'll be Texas. They should be a top 15 team this year. Um, we're going to Michigan. We have St. John's and we have uh, at Villanova. So well, we shouldn't hear too much about uh, Syracuse not playing a tough non-conference schedule. And I know we only go outside of New York once and or twice uh, with Villanova, which we'll probably see a lot of orange there anyway, and uh, at Michigan. But um, if there's a, a slate to prepare a young team like this, Which should, will rely on two freshmen and and hopefully a couple sophomores uh, out of that group step up. This should definitely be one because it definitely presents its challenges, but it's also uh, not a slate where I see any games that we should absolutely lose, especially if if our young guys uh, start to gel early.
2: Yeah, I mean, you brought up a a lot of good points there, Dan. I I think, for one, like last year, I feel like halfway through the year, uh, we saw our non conference schedule as being, you know, really good. And being better than most years, and then I think like that, that sentiment kind of fell off towards the end. Um, Villanova really hadn't done much outside of um, conference play, and even in conference play, it seemed like they were able to beat everybody but Creighton, um, and, and that win didn't really hold as much value. There are several other games that didn't hold the value um, we'd originally thought, but that one thing you said about um, you know there's no game Syracuse definitively should lose. When was the last time? that that we looked at the Syracuse schedule either before the season or or in season and said Syracuse will lose this game. And to be honest, I can't necessarily say I I've said that since maybe
3: two thousand eight. I don't know about you guys though. Uh I haven't followed the team as long as two thousand eight, so I've I've had a pretty good Run here of, uh, I think all the teams that I, uh, that we've had since I went to Syracuse. I started as a freshman, were top four seeds, and uh, aside from last year in the Marquette debacle, went to the Sweet or farther. So I've never really felt like Syracuse would automatically lose a team. I felt less than confident in some teams that have been tougher, UConn teams or Pitt and Louisville had our number for a couple of years. But I mean, we're a program that's going to be in pretty much every game. We're, we're at that level. Um, even when our teams are less talented than other years. Uh, so, I mean, there's a reason why, why, you know, other programs, um, consider us such a huge, a huge, uh, draw when we come to the arena. You saw that in the ACC last year and you'll see a lot of it this year too, because we'll be making a lot of our first road trips to places. So, um, it, it's, it's a good place to be for basketball, uh, especially you know after what has seemed like an end of football season, which is uh, a program that's more or less the opposite. Now we know it's called yeah.
2: Dan's Autobiography. Hashtag blessed the Dan Lyons story. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Trying to look here, I do remember. We're uh, talking about non-conference schedules going dating back to last year. Um, I'm looking at Twitter. I can't quite find it on just a random Google search. But I know Syracuse's record over on the non-conference is very stupid. Uh, But I know we have, it looks like, over a 50-game home winning streak in the non-conference, which is impressive. Obviously, the last loss going back to Cleveland State in 2008, Dan. So that was the 2008-2009 season. Um, It's over 50 games at home. And I know. I'm trying to think. It's got to be. So if we're going, we're dating back to then. I'm trying to think any other losses in the non-conference.
3: I think it was that Temple. Honestly.
1: Um. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's been yeah.
2: about. I think it was like what five years. now they threw out that one stat last year. with something like uses I think it was like. 50-something, too, in non-conference play in the past, like, four years or some shit.
1: Yeah, Temple was the, looks, Temple in 2013, or 1213, 13 and that was it, right? I don't remember losing, I mean, yeah. I mean, since 2008-09 season, in the Cleveland State game, the last non-conference loss, uh, wow. I remember that one. Temple. That's that's crazy stupid.
2: Yep, well, it's
1: not I, like we I, played flashes anyway. Flag. Yeah, we didn't play any smucks. Two thousand nine, we played California, North Carolina. Uh,
3: we played Florida 20, three times in that span. Two
1: thousand ten, we played. Like 2011. Kansas. They played Michigan, Georgia Tech, Michigan State. Uh, no, 2011, 2012. they played Virginia Tech and Stanford in the in Florida. Uh, and they played NC State at NC State that year. Uh, the following season they played. I mean, and the, people may think maybe you. Know, I'm rambling these off, but like everyone's like, well, you know, they're not. But you look at other programs in the ACC or in the nation they get knocked off all the time in the non-conference. Like, this is a frequent thing in the non-conference that these teams lose. Uh, I mean, it happens all the time. So the fact that Syracuse has gone in and the only loss is at Temple, and since uh, how many year period, that's really fantastic when it comes to Jim and It kind of tells you how well this program has been for a five, six year period. Uh, it's just really impressive. And a lot of fun. So, I guess that's the – right, that's kind of like the thing is like heading into the non-conference this year with all these sort of new pieces that were that are unproven, uh, are no, the norm is to kind of steamroll from the non-conference season until you get to conference play, whereas this year it's still the, sort of the unknown. You just don't know. Like you don't know how these guys are going to gel early on because we forget that, you know, practice doesn't start Told you know, a month before – this, the regular season gets going. A lot of these guys haven't really been implemented in the system. They'll be playing a lot uh, for a month or so. So it's, you're going to see these early defensive struggles, and that's why it's nice to kind of get these early cup games, games out of the way uh, in first before you have to go anywhere and you know really play anybody uh, too bad, or I mean too, too good. Um, so I
2: guess looking at maybe some of our early schedule. Um I feel like we did this a while back and we can skip this because of it. I feel like a while back we looked at like where our first loss could happen. But I guess what I what I want to think, I think we're I think because of, you know, all the wins and everything that Jared just listed up. I think we might be due for, you know, a, a kind of a kind of a letdown. I mean Temple wasn't that bad when we lost to them at MSG. But looking at the early schedule, is there a game against maybe a less regarded team that fits, that either of you guys can see Syracuse kind of dropping to? I know there's actually a lot of successful teams in here, even among the mid-majors. Um,
3: Texas is – I mean, if we play Texas, that's a really tough team. Um, they have a couple of really strong big guys in Cameron Ridley, uh, Miles Turner's I believe the number two recruit in the country that's, that's a forward center type player. Um, that'll be a real test for for Christmas to see how he deals with foul trouble um, and McCullough as well, uh, especially if we have to play him at the five at all, which is scary to think about. Um, so that's and, and they're a team that is coming off of, uh, you know, a, a decent little tournament run. Um, def, definitely an experienced group. Uh, with a lot of talent. Um the the nice thing about that team is that we have Jim Beheim and, and they have Rick Barnes. In which case I will say Syracuse is a definitive advantage. Um but that's a really talented team. That might be one of the most talented teams on our schedule, including conference play. Um and outside of that I think Michigan's due for a pretty big step back. People are are really all about Chris Levert, but he, he you know was a nice player last year, but he was their third or fourth option. People are penciling him in as a preseason All-American, which I don't really get. But Bielin's a good coach, um, so that'll be tough, especially at the Chrysler Center. And then uh, Villanova, uh, always a tough game. Last year was kind of a crazy one. Um, so they have, you know, obviously really good guard play. We have uh, another freshman point guard. Um, so that'll be an interesting one. I think that's one where we'll we'll really get to know, you know, what Caleb Joseph can do. And then, you know, that'll be a big game for, for Cooney and Benajay and, and Ron Patterson to, to prove their – you know, what they're all about because guards are going to win that game. Last year, Ennis, was, if I remember correctly, just really protected the ball well as he always did and and was the best guard on the floor, even despite all the guys that Villanova threw out there. So a lot of really fun early games. Um, and, and like you said, there might be uh, an early earlier loss than we're accustomed to this year, but that doesn't really mean that this team won't be as successful as, as we hope. It's just, you know, there might be some growing pain because this is a tougher schedule than, we normally face.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, obviously the. <laughs> um, is it we? Not the y Y two K classic, but it's like the what's the what's the tur- preseason tournament name? I should know this. Yeah, every tournament that plays there. It's the, what is it called this year?
3: The two uh, K classic.
1: Oh, two K classic. Yeah, okay, two K two K classic. So yeah, I mean. Any of these teams, the like California's. I mean, obviously they don't have uh, Cobb and Crab, that probably could go off on us. But we saw from, you know, the previous two seasons that they do match up with Syracuse pretty well as long as we're, you know, it, they, they can match up with Syracuse pretty well. I mean, obviously their coach knows our style very well. So, I mean, you can coach them up. Uh, so that, you know, I can see that being kind of a struggle game. Um, but like Dan said, the Iowa-Texas uh, either or team. I mean, Iowa's top 25 in some pools. Uh, Texas has got a good front court, a solid young team there, um, so that can provide some challenges there. Um, obviously, John line with Michigan is going to give us, uh, always going give to give us issues. I'm never going to, you know, uh, get a good run in uh, St. John's. Uh, you just never know with that game right there. I mean, luckily with that game's at home. Uh, and then uh, with their at Villanova. So, I mean, that's It's a pretty solid non conference schedule if you're looking for the team. I mean, overall, it probably is not going to impress a lot of, like, say, national pundits where there are other teams that are going out and playing Kansas or Florida or Kentucky or, you know, whoever it is. But it is a good early test for our guy, or for this squad uh, to go against some of these quality guys to kind of either win the games because they have the talent uh, or lose the games because they're not doing really well. So, I'm really excited to see see those games and see how everything kind of messaged, uh, meshes together going into the co- conference play.
2: All fair. Um I guess if I'm looking at something... Louisiana Tech. Like if, if one team was going to jump out at me, um, they could just kind of spring up in surprise. I know I, I had mentioned them when this game was uh, scheduled that this is kind of a sneaky, uh, a real sneaky, dangerous game uh, for SU just because, you know, Louisiana Tech is a very strong major. They really just missed the tournament last year. Um, admittedly, I don't have, like, any individual players to key in on and, and, and all that, but um, Louisiana well, Tech team I mean, played a very fun brand of basketball last year and that was something that looking at how Syracuse played last year, um, quote unquote fun basketball could really be a detriment to us winning.
1: Yeah, I agree, I agree. Louisiana it was just in the custom last year, uh they can turn it there to decent little team. Uh I mean I think I think I am always the person, John, you know this like with me and my preview like I've I've written many previews like in my in my past, like when it comes to like just looking at it on paper and going through guys. I, I've gotten to the point where, like, I don't need to do that. I can I, I wait to watch teams, and I watch a crap ton of college basketball. Uh, so I wait like to watch teams to kind of see what kind of mismatches they can get. Uh, but I don't know if I'll be able to watch Louisiana Tech uh, before they play Syracuse. I probably will, or here and there. I'll be able to give a pretty good idea, you know, on these Cal teams, on these Iowa teams and Texas. Uh, I don't know these teams how they match up with Syracuse, um, and before you know, geez, the non-conferences. Get all, you know, once we start going up here, once they all start playing some games, which happens in a couple days, so I'm so excited!
2: and' would have to say out of everybody, um, I would definitely assume that Jared is the most excited um, about <laughs> basketball. <laughs> we'll be we'll sort of know. leaves us. Yeah,
1: people well, have to say Football season. Yeah, people to that I I I work at a golf I work at a golf course. So like my my work schedule starts in like early like mid March, and then goes till like November first, and then the college basketball season goes from November first to like mid March, end of March. So it's like perfect. So in the meantime, I have nothing going on, and I just. It's so excited, and all I do is watch college basketball. And I watch a lot of college football, but a lot of college basketball is coming up uh, here in the next couple of months. So I'm really – I do get excited about this because I really have nothing else to do other than, you know, catch up on the cereal podcast or something like that.
3: Cereal's is great. You should definitely do
1: that. Oh, yeah. Definitely recommend cereal. Yeah,
2: take all,
1: right. all right, John, go ahead. Sorry, I cut
2: you off. Oh, it's all good. Um, I think this is a, I think this is a decent halfway point. So uh, I think I'm gonna hop into a little, a uh, mid podcast plug for uh, for our sponsor. Um, so again, just a quick shout out to Audible.com. They're a uh, sponsor of this here. It's Troy and Absolute Podcast, and they are a leading provider of digital audio entertainment and info. You can get over 150,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen to them on any device, including whatever you're listening to us on right now. You sign up at audibletrial.com slash newmagician. Get yourself a free audio book. Um, Two recommendations. Number one, you can read the book Kennesaw Mountain, Sherman Johnson and the Atlanta Campaign, about the Civil War and Kennesaw. And if you weren't paying attention, we're facing Kennesaw State's season on Friday. So that's something. And another book that you should probably check out, Legends of Syracuse Basketball, Harrello Anthony, Ronnie Cycli, Derek Coleman, John Wallace, Jim Beheim, and many more from Mike Waters. So that is on there, and you can get it free with a 30-day trial membership. So, yeah, those are things that you should probably read. And since we haven't done this in a while, Dan, yeah, what have you been drinking lately?
3: Uh, I actually have a lot of stuff because we haven't done this in a week or two. Um, I actually just moved to New York City, so I am now have a whole a, array of beers available to me all the time. Um, I made a stop down at Evil Twin a couple weeks ago um, where I had a couple different things. The, the best one I had was one of the stranger beers in terms of of what it looks like versus what you expect it to taste like uh, and what it actually tastes like. Uh, it's called the, uh, the loomy white uh, from perennial artisan sales in, in St. Louis. It is um, totally, it's, it's incredibly dark looking. It's pretty much as, as dark as any porter or stout you'd get, but it is one of the lightest drinkable, um, very citrusy beers uh, I've ever had. It's, it's pretty ridiculous. Um, I, I don't really know how they pulled it off or, or like what, how they even thought of doing it but it's it, it's crazy it looks like it's going to be a really heavy porter type beer and it has just all this other citrus flavor you, you could easily drink a, a number of them without really you know, feeling too awful about yourself so that was kind of a trip um, I had uh, Old Saratoga's Chocolate Raspberry Imperial Porter which was uh, pretty nice. Um obviously you get both of those flavors, but not neither one really beats you over the head. Um obviously it's, it's pretty, you know, fully fully full bodied being a double porter. Um and it's also a New York beer from Old Saratoga from Saratoga Spring. Um and then I went to uh Brooklyn Brewery last weekend. I had their Sriracha Ace uh Sejon, which was fantastic. Um and then their uh their pumpkin beer is uh Postred Pumped nails which I've had before, which is really good, um, and then their their, Brooklyn, their Weiss uh, is also very good. I, I, I've had a decent amount of Brooklyn, but I was obviously able to try a lot more being down at the brewery, and it was my first time down there. So lots of uh, lots of good stuff in the last couple of weeks. Hi,
2: Jared. How about you? I know you're not diving into craft as much as these uh, two over here. Yeah, not as much as you fellows, but uh, you, you guys do help me get out a little bit more and try
1: to trace other beers. I have tried the Brooklyn Post Road Pumpkin. Uh, that I'm a big pumpkin beer drinker. I I like the Sam Adams October Fest, but uh, anytime I go to a little, like a, a pub or an ale house that I know that has a bunch of different pumpkins on ale, uh, I, I I try that. And I, I actually tried different, you know, a range of different beers. Here and there, if I, you know, have an idea of what the, the one but the Birkin Post Road uh, Pumpkin Ale, I tried that, and that was pretty good. Uh, I, I tried it at the Ale House. And then uh, there's a couple places. Uh, the New York, is becoming very good when it comes to craft beer. There's multiple breweries around the area, or local microbrews, especially restaurants are getting really into starting their own type of uh breweries around the area and the bandwagon brew pub uh is a restaurant here that has a bunch of different work. it's probably a flight here and there. They have a bunch of good flights uh that like that but I had the 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 mayor of again has a brand new uh beer named after him the Civante Mayor beer and it's very good. So it's you know, one of those lighter, you know, micro brews that you like. I don't like anything very bitter. Uh I like you know, going towards more, you know, the lighter beer side. So that's where I like to go. But uh, when I go out, you guys have really inspired me to try other beers other than the Miller Lite, which I am drinking right now. So uh, kudos to you guys for inspiring me to try other things.
2: We do what we can. We hope that that's uh, that's kind of one of the results from the podcast. I know uh, while people who like craft beer may get a bad rap sometimes, to me, people can drink whatever they want. That said, I'd love to help people try to expand their horizons a little bit. And if at the end of the day, if they have all that stuff and they still go back to, you know, light beers or whatever, go for it. Um, my,
1: my biggest, my biggest thing when it comes to like the craft beer things is like, if you're going out like to a restaurant for like food and stuff, and you're only going out for like one or two, like to have with dinner, like try to try something else out, like just expand your horizons a little bit because a lot of those microbrews that are out there in restaurants are they have a lot more flavor than what the light beers that you're drinking at home. And if you're home, like I'm not going to criticize you for getting like, you know, your 12-packer Miller Lite or your Bushel Lite because it's expensive to drink craft brews all the time. But if you're out and about uh, and you only have one or two at a dinner, I just try your best to... Figure it out. I mean, a lot of the people at restaurants they're willing to help you out too. Or just look at the alcohol content and order, you know, between four and five, you know, percent alcohol content. That's usually where you want to be. So that's all my advice to the people that don't usually wander outside the comfort their comfort zone.
2: It's fair. Um, yeah, I guess I'll get to mine. I won't list out the typical like, you know, ridiculous list that I have, but. Uh, some things I've been enjoying lately: um, Alpine Beer Companies, uh, Happy Birthday, and Pure Happiness. Uh, two very, very good beers um, that I enjoy around here, as well as uh, Beechwood Brewings, uh, Melrose IPA. Um, probably comes out about twice a year in bottles, and I try to make sure I get at least one each time. Uh, also, had last week or so uh, three fluids, uh Brewdu. Or harvest Ale. Um, it's pretty much like a, a multi-year IPA. have been doing a little trading, so I uh, so got to have some excellent Three Floyds beer from uh, Indiana and have some more in the fridge that I'm excited to check out. And then also had um, really good um, Belgian White from Shorts in Michigan, uh, White Falcon. Another really good uh, bottle. Plenty more, but if you want to see those, got untapped um usually put my username and Dan's username in the post so you can read those. Anyway, back to basketball. So what other um, questions
1: do you have for us?
2: I mean I mean there's tons of questions we could ask about team. Uh one of the hot topics and then you know uh Matt McCluskey had his article today that uh that inspired some spirited debate. Um, what do we think about Trevor Cooney this year? I know he's pretty much become the most polarizing um, player on the roster. So, uh, I guess, Dan, starting with you, uh, what do we think? Trevor Cooney, does he show up? Does one of his evil twin brothers show up? Does he end up playing six-man duty by the end of the year? What happens?
3: Here's what I think with, with Cooney. I get that he's his... – First year, full year. I mean, you can't really count what he did two years ago. He wasn't a part of the rotation. I guess the last year he was very maddening and confusing, and, and you know, obviously frustrating to watch at times. But he—it was his first full year playing real minutes. Um, obviously, it's the third year in the program, but you know, it, it, you really don't start to you know really get the knowledge and, and uh, of what a full season of college basketball is like until you've finally done it and played, you know, a big role in every game. um, As far as I can tell, at least Uh, it's, it's hard for, you know, we have guys that make the jump and, and the right when they break their rotation, but for a lot of other guys, they need to get that playing time. And Tony has that. um, I'm not going to overreact to two scrimmages where we were using so many different funky lineups and things that we won't see very much during the year. Um, and, and I think if we all just come to the, uh, you know, come to peace with the fact that Rooney is a street shooter, um, it'll be probably easier for us to, to deal with. Uh, he's not going to be four for nine every night. He's going to have nights where he just absolutely, uh, dominates someone and he's going to have nights where he's off. And I'm hoping that this year's team has enough other options from deep, which last year's team did not, that it offsets. The nights where Cooney just doesn't have it. Um, I think Ron Patterson needs to play. because He obviously has range and is also has the ability to go off. Uh, I think McCullough will add a little bit and Joseph will add a little bit, and, and hopefully maybe even get something out of, like, D.J. Johnson, who's supposed to be one of the better shooters on the team. So, you yeah, know, maybe with more options, Cooney, you know, has less of the load to carry and can, you know, be a little more picky with his shot selection and, and, and I, I do like to see him get into the basket more and doing more things like that, but I just think it's a little crazy to totally sell on him after two exhibition games, which were for the most part non-competitive. Uh, well, Adrian, team. I wouldn't say the Charleston game was. That was a, was a tough team, but it, it, you know, Bayhide's not using the same strategies and rotations and whatnot in an exhibition that he is in a regular season game, so if, if the non-conference goes through and, and he's really struggling again, then I think it's time to be worried, but to do it after two exhibition games, I think is is very premature.
1: I guess I'll give my right, I on... uh... <laughs> Yeah, I'll give my opinion on this, and I'll get, I guess I'll say I'll give the bad news first, in the sense that after two exhibition games, and I'm not. I, trust me, I'm the first person to tell you I hate college basketball exhibition games, especially against, like, big programs like Syracuse because everyone overreacts. But I will say, if Trevor Cooney's is one job, or one of his biggest jobs, it's not like rebounding or, like, you know, getting the low post, but if his biggest job is making three-pointers, and he has open three-pointers, and he's not making them still, uh, the entering the season, that's, that's a big concern to me. Like, he's still... Like, and I know it's only two games, but there has been a history of this. And that dates back to, you know, after the Notre, Notre Dame game last year, where, before you know, before the Notre Dame game, like, he you know, on fire. Like, everything was going in. It seemed like good. And then people started to he on him because, literally, he was the only shooter on the team. Uh, and I think that really did hurt him. I, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt that, you know, once teams realize that no one else can make a three-pointer, he was the only really 3 pointed threat. And it's not like he's a standalone jump, jump shoot guy in the corner. Uh, he's got to make his own shot, and that's easier to defend than just, you know, other guys making plays until he's dishing out in the corner and him making a three. He's actually going to create his own shot. Um, I mean, even a bit of his output, but uh, it's just, Eventually, he's going to have to make them for people to get him off the bat. And I guess it's it's tough to compare... Everyone's going to compare him to the Andy Rowland, the Jerry McNamara, because he's a shooter who's white. Uh, that's just the way it's just going to go. Um, but those guys made shots. When we all, you know, we thought they were going to make it. And we're all still rooting for Cooney to make the shots. But right now, they're not falling. And every time the one doesn't go down... The pressure just builds and builds. So I do worry that eventually if he doesn't get out of the pump that he's in, it's just, it's just going to be too too much for him to kind of come back from. But I do wish, in a sense, of, let's everybody settle down here. Let's him get in the groove to where, like Dan said, the, effort, the rotation works out in his favor, and uh, he gets some better shots because these guys, this roster seems like a better fit for him in the sense that there's guys like Patterson, uh, McCullough, uh, I mean, even Benege now that can make three-pointers three, three or has a threat to make three-pointers. Uh, that's probably going to give him a little bit more space to do that. So once he gets rolling, hopefully that's that's what it's going to, you know, push him over the edge and get everybody off his back.
2: Yeah, I mean, for me, like I have patience with, with Trevor Cooney. I think that, that he has a real – Ability to hit shots, obviously, I think what we saw, you know, in the first round against Western Michigan last year and and most of the non-conference schedule last year, um, obviously he's a great three-point shooter. Obviously, um, you know, he he can get hot and be completely unstoppable. The problem is he can also get very cold. And at this point, um, you know, we've been looking at um, a lot more cold than hot um, since probably less January and now, you know, running through, with with a couple exceptions, you know, through these uh, two preseason games. I, I'm willing to let him shoot his way out, but at the same time, there's only so much of that you can take, and if we have players who can hit shots, and I, I hope for our sake um, as, as fans and, and viewers that, that we do have people who can make shots. If we have other players who can do that, um, it's going to be very hard to convince me that Coney belongs on the floor anymore, um, at least for extended minutes. Um, but let's see what happens. You know, I, I think that Kennesaw State and Hampton will be some good, some good um, chances for him to really get his confidence back, um, get back into the swing of things, um, and, and you know, again, get some shots. I think, I think he'll be afforded, um, be afforded a good five to eight attempts from three um, for these first two games, and each, and let's see what happens. If he hits the majority of them, I hope that that builds his confidence back up. Um, If not, though, I think we're going to be hitting a danger zone where, you know, not every shooter can shoot their way out. Not every shooter is destined to, um, you know, just hit every shot at some point. Some guys just lose it and don't get it back. Um, And I guess the, the, the tough part with Cooney is going to be, you know, figuring out where that point is, between cutting bait and letting him, again, continue to shoot his way out.
3: It's funny because, Jared, you compared him to Andy and and Jerry. um, Trevor shot 37.5% from three last year. Uh, Jerry only did better than that once, and that was his sophomore year uh, when he had Warwick, obviously, really emerging. um, The year after the national championship, he shot 38.9%. And Rowan's only shot better than Trevor's year last year once, which was his senior year, which obviously that team had shooters all over the place, and he shot 40.7%. So, you know, obviously it was very front-loaded, um, and that's a cause for concern. But if Cooney was able to just sprinkle more good performances throughout the season instead of having them all in the front and then a couple, you know, uh, a couple of just ridiculous games, like against Notre Dame and against Western Michigan in the tournament. I think we feel a lot better about it now. That doesn't mean that that's automatically going to be what ha- what happens, but he doesn't necessarily need to shoot better uh, from a season perspective. He just needs to hopefully, you know, hit one or two in those those off games instead of going over. And I also think it'll help if he does dedicate himself to getting to the basket more because he's a great free throw shooter. And, you know, sometimes you see shooters get themselves into rhythm by seeing the ball draw in the basket no matter how it's done. So, you know, maybe I'm confident that we'll see him uh, diversify his offensive game a bit, and hopefully that will help him gain confidence when he's actually shooting the threes. And like I said before, hopefully he has a little more help as well.
1: Yeah, I think, Dan, Dan, that was a fantastic point that you made there. I think the one – the Like you said, we're not... The biggest thing with Tooney, I guess you could say with Routon or McNamara, um, in the sense that it just seems, and I I don't know, I'm just going to un-golf on that, it just seems like their role in making threes was like, oh, I mean, Jerry's came in bunches, Andy's came in bunches here or there, but you could at least count on them to make three or or four, at least three during a game. So at least to spread the floor enough during a game where, you know, everyone else can get involved. Where the issue is with Cooney now is he just misses and he makes him munches and he misses him munches. So once teams know that he's not making it that day, like they can switch off. Like it's, you know, a completely defensive, different defensive game. And I guess that's what – and there's a lot of pressure on him because, not I mean, especially this season, like we lost – Syracuse loses three guys, three scorers that, on their team that they've, you know, counted, you know, that they really relied on last year. And now the pressure's on him even more now to make those three pointers. Or at least to, like you said, score, drive more, make more from the free throw line, do whatever it is. Like, you know, if he attacks the basket more and makes more, you know, free throws or two point baskets or kicks it out or here or there. Then that's what we could ask for. I guess that, that, that's another good point. What uh, Dan made was like you know McNamara. He wasn't just a three point shooter. He handled the ball pretty well. He could drive. He could draw a foul. He could make free throws at the free throw line. Andy Robbins was could pretty much do the same. But he had he played outstanding defense that we all saw that led to transition points and instead extra meat that every Syracuse fan is looking for. And right now everyone's just seeing. He's playing steady defense, uh, but he's you know, but he's just missing a lot of shots, and that's what everybody gets concerned about.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you brought up a great point there, and that is like Cooney's not, Cooney isn't those players in the sense that he uh i mean he, he he plays solid defense but but I would say that there were definitely some holes in his game later in the year last year, but compared to guys like Routins and compared to McNamara and and even to a point eric Devendorf um there was just that there were other levels to those players' games um that we just don't see with Cooney and like even those players like when they weren't hitting from three perhaps. Um, They were still finding ways to impact the game on on either one end or the other or both. For for Curry, he just seems like defeated out there Um, when when he's not hitting threes, and that's a real concern for us because those shots really provide the lion's share of his value. Um, You know, I, I think, too, the pressure that's on him to produce, and especially was last year when you know, CJ's shot just wasn't as consistent as it has been in past years. Um, you know, Grant was injured enough where that started to become started to become a bit of an issue. Um, there was really nobody else who could consistently hit shots. Like, those other players had people who could hit shots um, playing around them, and I think that's where, um, you know, Cooney's definitely going to struggle here. Um, if somebody doesn't emerge quickly... Is is you know how does he deal with that pressure and how does the team really function as an offense when you're relying on one guy to hit a bunch of threes to win games? Like at the end of the day, those players that we mentioned could hit clutch shots, but they were they were not the only source of offense in
3: games. Yeah, I think the more I think about it, for that reason, is I I really think Mike Benes is going to be a huge player, if only because of his versatility. But I think he's probably the candidate that we know is going to get playing time who can hopefully hit a jumper. And I think if Ron Patterson can break into the rotation, which it seems like the fans are all way more confident about that than Jim Beheim is, uh, he might just be being coy, but, you know, he's kind of, you know, he hasn't been so uh, forthright with saying that Patterson's going to debt a lot of PC, but, I mean, he's one of the only other guys who can really take the lid off a of defense. And obviously Beheim, you know, has that quote about how, Two nights out of, out of seven, he's going to, you know, make every shot. But even just the threat of that night being a, a game night, I think hopefully we, we see him play every game and see him, you know, even even get thrown out there because, A, he does play really good defense. He has that great six ten wingspan. But if he can, you know, become a, another threat on the perimeter and get open look for, for Cooney and, and take some of the pressure off of Rack and McCullough on the inside – I think this team will be a lot better for it. So I think those two guys might be the the guys this season really ends up hinging on. Um, and if they if they are both really productive, I think this team has a chance to be really, really good.
1: I agree. I'm right with you.
2: I'm all about that. And, and I would like to point out that the day after the season last year, I called San Jose to be that impact player on offense, not the to two player or horn too much. I do think that's going to come to fruition, not necessarily because of pure skill, though I do think Benajay is talented, but I think a lot of it's going to come to fruition because of just um, being essential. Um, and, and that's what I do fear about this team a little bit, uh, is that how much of what this team does right um, this year and, and players that get playing time, players that score, how much of it will be because it was essential for them to do so and how much of it will be... Um, just because it was a natural progression um, of, of talent, of, of lineup changes, etc., and I think for the most part, Bayheim usually has pretty good control over his team. Um, but with this group, again, I think it's gonna, I think we're gonna be forced into things that happen both right and wrong.
3: Yeah, we're going to start getting these questions answered pretty soon. Um, I mean, they're really only two warm, like, you know, as far as actual games go. We get thrown into the into the mix pretty quick. I mean, Cal, Cal and then the uh, Iowa-Texas game are, you know, down here in New York next weekend, like a week, a week from tomorrow. So um, not a lot of time to really get prepared and with uh, with Tennessee State the Tennessee States and the anthems of the world because those are the only few games we have up until that point. So the uh, season, season's coming way quicker than we probably even think, because usually I feel like we have, like, four games before we play someone really solid. This year, we're done thrown right in the mix.
1: Yeah, I think that's where that Carlton University – pre. Now, as Elliot said before, I, said, I don't like the preseason, but the Carlton preseason game was very critical, I think, for this team. Uh, you know, Bams, and we're never going to play them again, but I think he really likes playing them, especially in the preseason, because – that's one heck of a test for a, a young team like this, uh, you know, a veteran team that, you know, just runs their system and plays it to a team And I was quite impressed with that thing because I saw what Carlton did with the last year with pretty much the same squad. Took them right to overtime, and they gave them six this year. And the same team responded. I mean, you could see that there was talent there. As long as everything's clicking, they have they have no issues. I guess the biggest issue is. The leaders in the squad, you know, like in the past, I mean, I just played like a, like a veteran last year. You had T.J. Fair. You had Keita, who was the bench guy that came off the bench that was fine, you know, leaders-wise the year before that. You know, you had, you had the Brandon Trishes, James Sutherland's, the you know, the Michael Carter Williams, who sort of played like a veteran at times, at least his uh, playing ability. And then you had the Scoop Jardines and the Chris Joseph's, Year before that, uh, the only issue you have this year is if this team hits any diversity or you know not diversity that's one word. <laughs> they hit any issues or problems uh, going into season, uh, the season. Are is there an effective leadership there for them to kind of respond? I mean, is Cooney the guy to lead on? Is Rack the guy to lead on? Is all right? Is Caleb Joseph going to be there? the guy that they lean on. Is Benajay going to be, you know, the guy that comes out of nowhere off the bench to lead them? It's kind of tough for a bench guy, though, to kind of lead a squad. Uh, I understand he provides a spark off the bench, but he's not really the guy he looks for. So that's the biggest. One of the other big key things is the leadership. When things are going bad, who do they look to? Uh, in the last three years, they've had these guys, and this year it's still a very big toss of who they look to. Um, obviously, maybe you look to McCullough. Maybe this he's on star freshman, but he hasn't really shown that maybe yet that he's that type of Carmelo Anthony type guy that everyone can look to. So that's that's another thing going into the early season games. That it's going to be interesting to see kind of who steps out of that role.
2: True. All right. Uh, while we wrap up here, let's uh, let's give some predictions. Um, Dan, you want to lead off? I guess just a—you uh, don't have to give an exact win-loss record, but maybe maybe top score where are we finish in the ACC, and how
3: far you see this team going in the tournament. Um, I'm going to go out on a very big limb and say Trevor Cooney leads the team in scoring. Um, I think this team will win around 25 games total. Uh, including postseason. I think they'll finish around fourth in the ACC, and I think that they will make it to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament.
2: Garrett?
1: I would say, I, I want to say, I, I'm going to probably double-cross, but I do know when we had our earlier roundtable, somebody was asking about who the leading scorer was. And I think I picked Trevor Cooney to be it. Um, but I said that if Cooney's off, it's probably going to be Benje, uh in that role. Then just see him coming off the bench and playing starter minutes, and just having enough versatile, uh, versatility to you know shoot just be the outside threat, be the guy who can get early put the, the putbacks and stuff. Uh, McCullough has an outside shot if he's a stud. Um, when it comes to wins, this team I think I said I said today. I want to look to make sure I, I you know somebody. I know there's in the comments section. People are going to come up and be like you said this earlier in the year. Um, let me think here. Uh, I know there was a roundtable we had today where I, was, uh, I do think 25 regular season victories is a real possibility uh, for this team if everything was kind of clicking. They finally figured out because the ACC doesn't really scare me this year. Uh, if they're if they're a good team, they can win. They can rack up some wins in the ACC because uh, the volunteer teams aren't really that good. They can win. But I said 23-7 regular season, so they can push 25 wins in the postseason. Uh, I think, like Dan said, I think the expectation is they make the second round or if they make the NCAA tournament, they gotta make, they're got they going to be good enough to make the second week. So that's what you want. Um, fourth in the ACC, which I see to Louisville and somebody probably sneaking up in the ACC to be ahead of them. So that's what I see. Maybe a four or five senior NCAA tournament if they make it. Uh, I, I just think if they make it because you just never know. Injuries, crap happens. You know, there's, I just don't see that. It's, everything crumbles at a certain time. I just don't know if there's a veteran leadership like they had years ago that's going to help them kind of Keep everything together. Hopefully, maybe the coaching staff there can kind of do that for them. But uh, uh, that's what I see for this year. I, and then I just play by ear, week by week, game by game. You just week you just hope for a win each time you go up. Um, it's not this is not a team that's going to steamroll people. Uh, so fans are going to be in for a roller coaster year uh, of emotions. I think when it comes to, but I think they're ready for that, which is going to make things a lot easier than everybody else. All right. Uh,
2: for me, just to close everything up, um, I'm going to try to temper optimism and realism as 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 much as I can. I know I kind of mix both in a way that makes no sense uh, most of the time. I talk about the basketball team. Um, I'm going to say. I'm going to say fifth in the ACC, but it's going to be via tiebreaker um, and nothing else. Uh, I think this team hangs around the top 20 most of the season. We'll do that thing where we drift all the way to the bottom and then kind of pop back up towards the top 15 and then end up rounding out in the 15-20 to range. Um, And I see us getting to the sweet 16. Uh, As far as leading scorer... um, I'm going to go with Michael Benadier because I've been saying it since March and I don't know why I'd change that now. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. So uh, that's it. Fun preview, guys. Um, for all the SU fans listening, or other fans as well, uh, Syracuse the Season starts this Friday against Kennesaw State. Um, the Owls up at the Dome. So, yeah, I would, uh, I'd recommend watching that because you've been waiting for a long time to so see the team back in action. But, uh, as always, thanks to Dan and Jared for, uh, for joining me tonight. And, uh, this has been Troy Noon's and Absolute Podcast. and um, the your Syracuse basketball preview edition. For those who would like to subscribe or review or rate us, you can do so on Blog Talk and iTunes, wherever and whenever you'd like. um, Yeah, go Orange.
3: Go Orange.